Oh, wait, I forgot. I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. My name is J.J. Placencio. I'm the worship pastor here at AOC. And this morning, I was scheduled to tag team this with our pastor, Chad McCartney, but he fell ill this weekend, and he called me yesterday at 9 a.m. I'm, I'm giving you my excuse right now. Like in golfing, you always start off, hey, listen, uh, I slept wrong. Um, so uh, Chad, he's doing fine, uh, but we'll be praying for him. But he uh, said, hey, guess who's preaching? So I've, I took on the challenge to prepare a message. Okay. Thank you. So right, right there. <clears throat> And so we're going to continue our part in Colossians there. So let's, let's stand together in honor of God's word. Can we do that? And let's read this together. So I want to hear you, okay? This is Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed called in one body. Keep going. And be Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Yes, amen. You may have seat. Well, as we're talking about peace, uh, listen, I'm aware of the world we live in, and peace is sometimes the farthest thing. It can feel like it's the farthest thing away from us. And to kind of explain that a little bit in our fast-paced culture, I found a a great Portlandia clip that I wanted to show you. So watch this. Ten. (laughs) And then one more text. Software update. I gotta watch these movies and then I gotta return. Help. Gary. Gotta check my texts. My email. Fred. Help. More text. I gotta watch all these movies before they have to return them. Up on my queue and (laughs) top ten family photos. Okay, just send one more text. Reason I want to my DVR. No, oh, please I'm gonna put check it my Facebook update. I can Tumblr. Fred, wait, please. You know what's happening, right? You're just spiraling. You're out of control. Yeah. No, there's too many things going on. I want to check my text. You're out, right? Help me, please. I'm please please help me. Please help me out. Ah, will you help me? Yes. Please help okay. me. Text. And I think that you're okay. Please help. I'm checking. Out. Checking. Fred. Checking my text. Text. Checking my. What is this? Fred, that's you in high school. That's you before computers and internet and iPads and YouTube and Tumblr, before your fantasy baseball league, before your Netflix queue. Which I have to watch. No, look how happy you look. You're in a technology loop. Okay, what should we do? Well, what should we do? We're in a technology loop. Now for me, uh, to get out of that loop, I need more than a picture of my face from when I was in high school. Um, And uh, as we study this verse, we realize that there are so many things out there that can rob believers of peace, if you let it. And so there can be a relationship with a coworker, it can be a real trying time, try to figure that out, how do you have peace there? 
tensions with a spouse or a family member, that can rob you of your peace. You're not sure how to navigate that. Financial troubles of just even how do I pay the bills coming up, that can rob you of your peace. Um, not knowing the future, right? That's a big one. That can rob you of your peace. And honestly, for being serious, it can be sin. You can tolerate sin and it will rob you of peace. Maybe once there was peace, but it's now replaced with a bad habit because there is no rest, right? And Isaiah says there is no rest for the wicked. There is no peace. The Bible says that in Isaiah way before Cage the Elephant. Because um, when you tolerate sin, peace is absent. There is this, real, there's this famous saying, I forgot who said it, uh, everybody wants peace. Those who abstain from war, those who go to war, even those who kill themselves, they all want peace. And most can view peace as something that comes and goes depending on our situation. Uh, like we can go, oh, right now I'm in a season of peace. Right now I'm, you know, the, things are lined up, so it's peaceful right now. Um, but what God is talking about here is something more out of our control. It isn't just, you know, a vacation or a nice time at the beach. It's something, it isn't something that we can manufacture or it's not the byproduct of something else. Because God wants us um, to learn that God's peace is something more accessible and obtainable. God wants us to know peace, to live in peace, to be filled with peace, to be rooted in peace. And this is my favorite one. And he wants us to be agents of peace. He wants us to be agents of peace. So it is so important to the believer, as it is mentioned 94 times in the New Testament. I, this is how bored I was and terrified yesterday when I was prepared to do this message. I looked up, like, how many times is this said? It's said 94 times in the New Testament we talk about peace. In fact, God uses it to describe himself. You know how huge that is when God takes on the title of something to be identified and to be called that? how important it is. God calls himself the God of peace. And I know it's not Christmas, and I always, we always throw this verse up there on Christmas, but we're gonna have a little Christmas in July, because that's a thing I hear sometimes. So we're gonna actually read this verse together. This is Isaiah 9, 6. Okay, let's read this together. Can we do that? It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And his name shall be called the Counselor. I can't tell you how much this verse is so important to keep close to your hearts. So many times in your life you're going to run into a situation or a circumstance where you're going to need the wonderful Counselor. In my life, there have been times where I have been, felt afraid or discouraged and to know that my God is the mighty God. Other times, I, I feel maybe abandoned and alone in the situation. I'm reminded that God is the everlasting Father, and I apply that to that situation. And at other times, 
when things can seem chaotic or there's a lack of unity, I'm reminded that God is the Prince of Peace. How important is that? He is all these things to us for every situation that we'll encounter. But there's instructions here. We are to pursue this. It isn't just happen. So we read, read this now too from, uh, this is uh, 2 Timothy. It says, uh, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we are to pursue righteousness. You are to pursue faith. Pursue it. You are to pursue love, to pursue peace. You know, uh, Pastor Brandon and Nima, and I think it's Molly from our staff, right now, as we, or not me, as I speak, I don't know, as I speak, they are in Israel with a group of other people from our congregation. So I'm sure they're hearing the word shalom. We've heard that word shalom before. Um, Just to kind of put us all in the same uh, field here, uh, let me define a little bit of this. Shalom is a word that they use in the Old Testament, right? And it actually means it's the state of prospering in your life. It's it's an act of blessing. So when you run into somebody in Israel, they're going to start off saying shalom. And what they mean by that is they're saying uh, that you may prosper relationally, uh, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Also, that word peace comes from the Greek word iero, which means to bind together that which has been separated. It follows that peace is the opposite of, div- of a division or dissension. Peace as a state of concord and harmony is the opposite of war. We know this. It is the present verse peace that is that which Christ gives. So instead of division, there is supposed to be unity, this idea of oneness. I love that. So looking at this verse, the first thing about God's peace is that God's peace is active. God's peace is active. Let the peace of Christ rule, which, by the way, I just like saying, let the peace of Christ rule. Uh, We need to somehow come up with something, like, I don't know what, but we've got to figure out something that makes peace of Christ rule. Um, Sorry, it's just me. Uh, we have a, but we have a tendency to believe that peace is, a, is, is manufactured some way. But that's not what God is saying. Uh, in fact, in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Friends, you want to know about the future on something, on a situation? I get that. The, hu- the human person here on this earth totally get it. But there is something better, and that is God's peace. Something stronger, and that is God's peace. In fact, sometimes I think that's why God will only show you 10 feet in front of you. He wants you to trust him. He wants, one of the things I stopped doing, I don't know if, yeah, I'll tell you. One of the things uh, I stopped doing is I stopped praying for patience. (laughs) 
Let me, te- let me tell you why. Um, I found that what God does is he puts me in situations where I can practice it. <laughs> so I know that God is not in charge of the lights on the street and the red lights that I... Is it, just, it just seems like I'm... Even my whole family says, Dad, when I ride with you, you get all the lights. <laughs> when I ride with Mom, I, it's the green lights all the way through. But with you, you get all the red lights. I'm like, whoa. What is going... Anyway, that's a whole other issue. But peace is an active thing. And as it says in, a, in Philippians, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So... Your mind is a city. Your heart is a city. And then peace is the garrison around that, guarding it, protecting it. Paul tells us peace rules. I love peace rules too. We gotta think of another one for that one, peace rules. The word rule translates uh, the word umpire. Did you know that? This is where we get the word umpire. Uh, now, I, I grew up a soccer player. Anybody? Soccer player? Three people. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> uh, I grew up a soccer player, and let me t- And this is probably true to all sports, but in soccer, I'll tell you, because I was a ref at one point where I was getting $5 uh, an hour uh, refing in the hot sun in El Paso. Not a good idea. But the, the ref has complete power over that soccer field. He could eject anybody, even in the stands. If you're in there causing trouble, red card to the stand. You could get out of there. I know this because many parents got red cards when I was a kid <laughs> watching their games. You're out of there. Um, but it is true. The umpire who actively enforces his peace on the field. So here's, here's what I want you to remember. Okay? Listen here. Uh, Peace is the umpire to the will of God. Got that? Peace is the umpire to the will of God. We ask all the time, you know, should I do this? Should I go over here? Should I, should I do this in my life? I'm thinking about moving here. I'm thinking about marrying, all this thing. Let me tell you, if you don't have peace, don't do it. If you don't have peace about it, don't do it. But I'm going to make a bunch of money. No, don't do it. Well, this is going to really advance my career if I, if I, if I do this. Don't do it. Well, I think we can afford that house if we do these. Don't do it. Well, marriage is probably the next step. I mean, we've been together so, I mean, it's already, we already have this relationship. If you don't have peace, don't do it. Peace is the umpire to the will of God. Peace is also the umpire when it comes to the family of God. So my question to you is, are you committed to peace when it comes to God's family. You know, there are a few hills, very few hills that we should actually 
die for. Um, the Bible is the inspired word of God. I'll, I'll die on that hill. Uh, that there is no other name that men should be saved. I'll die on that hill. But, you know, there are other things like I think we have a willing to die for our preferences. And we think our preferences are our principles when they ought not to be. And you know what? There is room in the kingdom of God. Let me just say this. There's room in the kingdom of God for people to have a difference of opinion. Um, there's a great story um, uh, with Lot here in Genesis. I, w- I want to read this story to you. This is uh, Genesis 13, 5 and 7. And I love the message. Um, I kind of call it the hip-hop IV, um, but I love it. Um, it's a story about Lot and Abram before he had his name changed to Abraham. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, was also rich in sheep and cattle and tents, but the land couldn't support both of them. They had too many possessions. They couldn't both live there. And quarrels broke out between Abram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. The Canaanites, the Persites, were also living on the land at the time. And Abram said to Lot, Let's not have fighting between us, between your shepherds and my shepherds. After all, we're family. Look around. Isn't there plenty of land out there? Let's separate it. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. JJ, what does this have to do with anything? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you that You don't want to be fighting yourselves when you have enemies surrounding you. They would have been wiped out. They would have fought themselves. Some churches are so busy fighting themselves, they can't fight the devil. And I think we have to be careful fighting each other, getting upset over preferences that we get our eyes off the greater good that, of what God is doing or wants to do. We have to choose to let peace rule this place and our hearts to create unity because that is the atmosphere where God can work. You with me? I know that's hard. That's hard. But I, I didn't write it. This is, we, we have to take this before the Lord. You know, one of the things that um, I love doing is, uh, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to strip down too is, and I've said this before, but um, part of my ministry is I'm an evangelist. I realize this uh, when Brandon said, you're an evangelist. <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, but I have a heart for um, the lost. I just do a big one. And I'll go all over town, and you've heard me say this. I'll, I'll, 
I'll get on Craigslist <laughs> and I'll find musicians who, need, who are looking for other musicians and I'll go and practice with them and play with them with no intention of joining their band. <laughs> but um, to begin a relationship, to go, hey, you know what? I don't have time to, to pursue this, but why don't you come play with me? Um, you get breakfast tacos, um, there's a lot of people there that are going to love you. And that's why you've seen some of these new faces on this stage. Uh, let me just say that I don't give anybody who is a seeker a microphone because uh, I don't want propaganda. Uh, I don't want somebody to come up here and sing I Surrender All in front of God they don't mean it. I want that to be true. And by the way, I have to tell you, artists get that. Artists want real. They don't want fake. They don't have to be, you don't have to tell them that twice. They get it. But I, as I even read Ecclesiastes, right? Do not make a vow unless you're ready to fill it. Be, be not so quick to utter anything before the Lord. And you're going to stand here and sing, I surrender all. You're going to say that? Okay. Really? You're going to say that? Wow. So I just don't want anybody to play with power tools when they're up here until they know. But there is something about the power of community. There is something about God's peace that they can't put their finger on quite just yet. And it is expressed in this place, by you, in God's presence. And then the next thing you know, we're baptizing them in the courtyard. And they're a part of a family. Because they need Jesus. That's just that's my heart. However, you all may not play the bass like I do, which is okay. Um, <laughs> But you, <laughs> the three amigos just popped into my head. <laughs> We're not a village of weaklings. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> we can sew. Uh, no. Uh, you have your own circles where you can be an influence to somebody, whatever you do. There is somebody there who would love coffee and a conversation and for you to listen to their story. And you should be able to tell your story in like a minute. And if you have trouble with that, I can teach you. Have lunch with me. I can show you. I'll be happy to. Let me help you with that. But here's the thing, because the next verse tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, I, I'm, not, I'm not Don Reed. I'm not a professional counselor like he is. He is um, he's Michael Jordan of counseling. Um, I didn't go to seminary myself, but I've been to Calvary. 
and I know this book, and you do too, and you have to invest in having God's word in you so that it'll come out. Here's something songwriters know. You can't put anything out unless you put something in. You gotta be reading something in order to express something. You gotta be reading all the time if you're a writer. Just, that's how it works. Well, if you richly dwell into God's word, you can't help but be quoting it and living that out in those moments. But for me, the biggest trial is Mopac. That's what tests my <laughs> faith all the time. Mo- Anybody, can I have an amen? Okay, uh, let me, wow, I expected a lot more hands. Um, yeah, high 35, yeah. Um, But it is in those moments that I remember God's word. Consider others more importantly than yourself. And whatever story you're hearing, whatever, as you even talk, as our body talks to one another, and we are encouraging one another with psalms, and, and we're richly dwelling in God's word, God's peace is there. You gotta richly dwell into God's word. Not your I'm I'm so terrified of saying the wrong. This is why I don't like preaching. Um I uh yeah. <laughs> um when Peter was in the temple, right? He's in there with Jesus and Jesus says, ask the question, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the rock, you know, you are the rock, you know, you, I mean, uh, you are the one. I say you are the Messiah, Peter says. And then everyone's like, whoa, that guy, ah, that's crazy. But Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, for it was God who told you that. And on your faith, I will build my church You are the rock. And everyone's like, whoa. Then Peter's like, all right, yeah. (laughs) But like, have you read that? Like literally, like maybe five minutes later, he gets called Satan. Because he says, Jesus predicts his death. And Peter says, no, I will never let that happen to you. And suddenly, you go off on your own You're saying the wrong things. I need to constantly dwell in his word all the time. You do too, and it's not because you're a bad person. It's just good that we all need Jesus. So that's how important it is to richly dwell into his word, to have it here so that you can pull it out in those times. You don't know what to say? Go here. It's there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Uh, This is a really great uh, quote. Uh, There's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Anybody? Charles Spurgeon? Wow, I expect that was a lot more hands than the Mopac. (laughs) I'm just saying that's weird. But it says, uh, 
listen to this. You're going to love this quote. It says, no other truths, books, this is God's word he's talking about, should hold greater prominence. Let all other truths be like the planets, and let the word of Christ be the sun. The sun both holds all else in orbit as well as provides light to illuminate all else. So it is with God's word. It's not the totality of all truth. However, all other truth is held in place by God's truth. And all other truth is illuminated and properly understood through God's truth. Isn't that fantastic? The only reason the word of Christ can dwell richly among us is because the person of Jesus Christ died innocently and horrifically amongst us. And Jesus, when he hung on that cross and was pierced for our transgressions, he bled the very word of God. From his mouth came the opening lines of psalm, of a song, Psalm 22, which, by the way, I never th- thought that David was prophetic. But you read this and you're, I'm blown away. This is, this is the M. Night Shalomon to this message right here, what I'm about to tell you. Listen to this. Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 22. So I want to I park the bus right here. And um, I've asked uh, my good friend and partner in crime, uh, Dr. Mary Ellen Johnson, to come help me. Uh, so you, you just welcome Mary Ellen to come up here with me. Thank He really just wanted coffee. <laughs> Not really. Hey, he but he looked coffee. like he needed it. Peace, Christ rule. Peace, Christ. Yeah. It's not how I, yeah, okay. It's cool. All right. Well, I wanted to bring Mary Ellen up here because as we get to this last part of this verse, we're talking about psalms, uh, hymns and spiritual songs. And let me just quickly define what that is, okay, so that we're all on the same page here. Psalms refers specifically to the Old Testament psalms. Hymns, it's a term used for festive songs sung in praise to God. Keep in mind that the songs that we often define this term with didn't even exist for 1,500 more years, right? Okay? Now, spiritual songs the word describes a song in the most general sense, but which has spiritual content. So many commentators think 
It may have been spontaneously sung, also known blues jazz songs, just saying. <laughs> um, but Mary Ellen and I, we gather together every week at Tuesday, and we start talking about what we're going to do on Sunday morning. And we begin uh, our meeting with prayer, and we begin to seek God out. What, what's the message for the day? And Lord, would you begin to speak to us on what, how, on how we can be a vessel? How can we best lead your direction? How can we glorify you, Lord Jesus? But we need some boundaries of like where, and now we're, we're not a contemporary, we're not a traditional, we are just Austin Oaks. But we, where, where's our boundaries? Where, how do we figure that out? And I just kind of want to talk about the elephant in the room a little bit. If we can go there, because where, where is it that we want to go? What, what does that look like? And the best description that I can find is actually in the Old Testament. And I've shared this with Mary Ellen before. Uh, of course, she was in the first service, but um, even before that. <laughs> um, but it, it starts with the Ark of the Covenant. And see, the first time that David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it's, it was, it's, by the way, it was never in Jerusalem before. It was the first time ever. So you can imagine how excited these people were to have the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. So they began to prepare a feast, and there were, I don't, you know, it was the biggest party you've probably ever seen, biggest celebration. People were happy. It was joyful. And they're bringing the Ark down this little hill, and the ark is on this uh, cart, and the ox trips that's pulling it, and there's the Uzzah, already an unfortunate name. He's up there, and he sees that the ark is about to tip and fall, and he doesn't want to disrupt everything, all the work that's been put in. He doesn't want the ark to fall down. He doesn't want to bring embarrassment upon his family. He, like, let's just keep it going. We all work so hard for this, and it's a big celebration. So I'll just touch the ark and set it back up on the cart, instantly dead. Look, it's celebration. Being charismatic is not a bad word. Having fun, being in the joy of the Lord is a good thing, but friends, we cannot touch the ark. He's reverent. He's holy. We can't expect a worship service just to be, have this artificial high, if you will. With music, we can do that, and let me tell you, I know how to entertain. I, can do, I know, I've been a part of those groups. That's not what this is about. We can't, the goal is not for us how we feel. God is reverent. He's holy. And in our worship services, we have to remember who he is. He's holy. He's reverent. The truth is our knees should knock a little bit. So David is bummed out. This was a total party killer, no pun intended. But 
it was just, it was a really, he returns the ark. He says, not this way. He returns the ark away. And he waits. And then he decides, you know what? Let's bring this in and let's set this up in the traditional way. Let's return the ark in the traditional manner, which was not on a cart with an ox, but to be, there was instructions on how to carry the ark. So let's carry it in in, in the traditional way. And it almost mirrored their, the Day of Atonement. So they understood exactly what was going on. And as this service is coming and it's coming into play, David, who is there, is so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And joy just, just overwhelms him. And he begins to disrobe, and I'm not going to do it here, but he begins to disrobe, and he begins to dance, and he begins to sing, and he's shouting, and he's so filled by the Holy Spirit. And his wife is there. Look at him. Look at, he's not supposed to be doing that. It's not done in this traditional service. It's not how we worship. That's not how it's done. You don't have that kind of stuff in this type of thing. But it's somewhere in between those two paradigms that we need to be. Somewhere in the middle of those two examples where we need to be. Those are extremes, right? Are you with me? You guys, you guys with me on this? Here's the thing, though. This is how important this is. Wow, I'm talking a long time. Um, so time is going by. Uh, this is how important this is. This is the, I'm dating myself, but this is the city slickers one thing here. Uh, this, is, this is, listen to this. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, um, he fasted for 40 days. Satan takes him up to the mountain and he's hungry, so he turns a rock into a loaf of bread. You remember this? And I don't know, maybe you could even smell it. Maybe you could even picture how it would be like one of those La Madeleine big rolls, you know, that just crunchy. And, um, but Jesus understands that this is a temporary satisfaction. He goes, it is not good. Man should not live on bread alone. Okay, so the second time, Satan takes him and uh, says, if you jump off this cliff, surely you will not die. The angels will catch you. And this is a temptation of entitlement. You know? I am, I am the Son of God. I could do this. That's right. I could. Jesus' answer is, listen, do not tempt the Lord your God. This isn't this third thing. This isn't this third um, temptation that is really interesting to me in this topic. And because Jesus goes, all right, I'm going all in. I'm going all in right here. Satan, does, he, Satan, is, Satan is going all in right here. He goes, listen, if, if he takes him up to a high cliff. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you, I will give you everything. 
everything. I'm going all in. A couple of things to notice here. You know what? Apparently, worship is important to Satan too. In fact, City Slickers, one thing here, there is a battle for your worship. There is a battle for your worship. And sometimes what I think the enemy can do is distract us so much. He can take the way the peace of God with so many things because Jesus is that pearl, the true pearl. And he, we set it on the table and the enemy will put all these fake ones, plastic ones around it to distract you from the real thing. So Mary Ellen, You know, as we prepare services here uh, for Sunday and we look at this verse, um, what does your heart tell you? Well, first of all, I apologize. I think you take your coffee with cream and sugar. Oh, this is good. This uh, is fine. Yeah. I was thinking my preference is black. <laughs> and I have imposed my preference on JJ yeah. with black coffee. Yeah. Um, but I... I I love this verse that we have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to pull from. And I don't look at this verse as a prescription. We have to have these three things or we're not having proper worship. But I look at these things as options. They are ways, ways that we can pull our friends in the congregation, our family, into worship. And worship is such an important thing because it's, I think of worship as a cosmic event. When we are singing together on a Sunday morning, we're not just singing to ourselves, but we're singing to our great God, the God of the universe. And if you think about that, we read in Revelation how the throne is surrounded by a throng of people worshiping, worthy is the Lamb, worthy, worthy, worthy. And we get to join in on that. So it's, it's such a privilege to get to participate in that. And as we plan, we are trying to listen to the Spirit. How is He inspiring us? Is it a psalm? This morning we had a a wonderful transition where Brooke read Psalm uh, 8. How that the moon and the stars reflect God's worthy and and who is man that that you are mindful of him. Hmm. And just then getting to sing about even though I am so unworthy, still you love me. And forever my heart will sing of how great you are. And so we try to listen to the Spirit. Is it a psalm? Is it a hymn? And a hymn is, like J.J. said, it was something that was written to praise a pagan god. Well, the Christians then in Colossae and Ephesus 
um, they pulled this idea of, well, let's write something that reflects the true God and talks about the character of the true God. And we have, I think, a sample of that in uh, Colossians in the first uh, chapter where it talks about he is the image of the invisible God. I think that's a, that could be, and commentators believe that could be a early hymn that was sung together in worship. We have spiritual songs. Uh, it's the jazz. It's the, <laughs> yeah. the, but these songs that just will emerge, and, and we have writers in our church that write songs that reflect a particular emotion or a particular characteristic that they want to bring others together in worship. So as we're planning worship, we're not just picking the songs we like, although we do get to do that. Um, and we do have our preferences, but we are also so focused on um, maintaining the peace of Christ and the unity of the body that we'll sing what is going to best point people right. toward the throne. Absolutely, and even this whole message cycles back to um, the definition of worship which was given to us in Romans 12. So Romans 12.1, if you want to know hey, what is worship, Go to Romans 12, 1. There, there's your definition of worship. And that is that everything that we do, everything that we say, is an act of worship to Him. That is, that is what we are wanting to do. Uh, it's like a, 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 um, a kid at Thanksgiving. You go to Thanksgiving, a, a kid at, after eating the a Thanksgiving meal, the dinner, whoa, wow. I didn't know we had an image for that. Um, after we have the Thanksgiving meal, there might be a kid who goes, hey, you know what? I like the cranberry sauce. The cranberry there, that's my... Next time that we ha all meet, can we just make everything out of cranberries? Can we just have everything jello cranberries? I want the whole meal to be jello cranberries. And you know what? We can do that in the worship. We can say, I want this, I want this part. You have the whole meal of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's what we're trying to do. And uh, I do want to say one thing. Please go ahead. We do have a whole meal of these songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. But, and, and preference isn't bad. I think right. God has created us all in a unique and wonderful totally. way. Yeah, it's totally. JJ's a jazz musician. I am. I'm classically trained. We are like, sometimes we don't even read the same music, you know? And, uh, but if we understand those preferences and accept those preferences, that's a great thing. But when I begin to, to impose my preference as the way or the only way, then that's when we're, I believe, we're skirting into sin. When we first uh, started to blend our services, 
was contemplating whether to share this or not, but there was somebody here who wouldn't even shake my hand. Man, we love Jesus. We love you guys. We're your servants. We've also been called to help lead this place. I don't want to be known for our worship. I want to be known as a place where you can come and see Jesus and encounter him. If we can get through this petty stuff, there's a whole world out there that needs to experience the peace of God. And that excites me.